Okay. I'll try to oh not do this as much too because I don't want to annoy my wife who's so oh. loud. There. So loud. That's so funny. So loud. She's actively working beside you while you're doing this, dude. I know. I'm I'm horrible. So that's what I'm doing, okay? <laughs> dude. I have to pee now. Oh my ah! god. Do you want to go? Pee after your preamble. Yeah. Your preamble. Oh. oh. Today on the Geek Out Podcast, Adobe has made a low-power, color-changing dress. The actors in studios are talking again, but we'll still have to wait until 2025 to see more of the cruiser. Jurassic Park is coming to Victoria, kind of, and we'll review and recommendation. Killers of the Flower Moon. Too long. Nerdy is the new sexy. It's good to be a geek. The Zone's Geek Out, the podcast. That was an excellent representation about the length of that movie, Paul. It's the Zones Geek Out Podcast. This is episode 262. We record this on the morning of Wednesday, October 25th, 2023. I'm Webmeister Bud. I host Bud's Weekly Geek Out Wednesdays at 7.20 with Dylan and Jason in the Morning Zone. I'm DJ Boytano. When Paul says Killers of the Flower Moon, my initial thought was like, well, were there a lot of cows in this movie? What's going on there? <laughs> yes, like, obviously. Killers of the Flower Moon. <laughs> I know. Don't, I shouldn't move the, the, um, the moon too much because it's too long. It's too goddamn long. We'll get into it. Uh, we'll my name is Paul Blastino. And uh, okay, so I, I guess this is not on the cue shit. I want to. Um, Make a mention right now. I I listened to a really good um, podcast recently. PJ Vote, who I think we've talked about before on this podcast and the great uh, old podcast called Reply All that he did with Alex Goldman. Um, that was canceled because PJ Vote was doing some. I wasn't like uh, he was. He was doing like uh, union busting tactics at the little podcast shop where they worked, right? Like first, It was a little bit of that. Him and Shruti Pinmanani, who are now both sort of spun off onto their own thing. Yeah, there were some, there were some accusations about workplace, uh, yeah, management kind of thing. Right. Yeah, so they left that very good and successful podcast. Good and then it, it went out. It went on for like a little while without them, and then it just folded. Yep. Which was a real shame because it was such a good podcast. Now... PJ hosts and Truthy produces this new podcast called Search Engine, which is essentially the same thing except with just PJ. Yeah. Wow. So anyways, as much as I hate supporting a scab, I am enjoying this podcast. It's quite good, and they look at uh, really interesting questions and everything. And one of the recent podcasts was, is there a sane way to use the internet? And you listen to this too, right, bud? Yes, sir. And I loved, we took different gists out of it, but one of the nice gists that I took was that, um, well, I think the gist you took was like, get off of Twitter full stop. Just get off I of mean, that. that was one, just, that was just one of the points that they made, certainly. Yeah, which I thought was very interesting because I've certainly scaled back my Twitter usage. I don't tweet no more. You are not on there anymore, right, bud? Uh, I will observe occasionally. Right. Which is all we'll be able to do for free at this point, That's right? That's correct. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. So that's fine. That's kind of where I'm at with it. And they, one of them made a, a good point that uh, why would you provide content for Elon Musk's Twitter? Yeah, great way to put it. That is a great interesting way to put that. And that is what you're doing when you're tweeting. You're pr- you are 
providing free content. When you're content. doing anything, when you visit the site, when you're interacting, if you, uh, you know, quote, tweet or reply or retweet or whatever, yeah, that's all that's all into the, the, the pot of money that Elon swims in. Yeah. So I thought that was a really interesting way to frame and, and think about that because sometimes I feel bad. I'm like, I'm just lurking. That's what I'm doing. I have things to say. I won't stop saying things. Why don't I tweet them? Uh, yesterday I went to a movie and I went into the bathroom and I thought, wow, this bathroom smells like Dr. Pepper. That's the scent that they have put in this bathroom to scrub the urinals with. And then I it's thought, amazing. and I was like, oh, I should tweet this. And I was like, no, don't tweet it. Never. Don't, don't say that. No, number one, no one needs to really read that. <laughs> But do you know what I mean? Like I don't – so don't tweet. But you were saying that don't – no, don't tweet it because don't provide content for Elon Musk's Twitter or just like why would I say this on on the internet? Well, well, we're both I suppose. Um, Yeah. No, but but certainly now I'm – you know, and and let's pretend it was a better, more interesting, more important thing I was going to tweet. Oh, no. That was pretty important. Mm -hmm. Oh, thanks. Still, it's just like, don't do that. Don't give content to Elon Musk's Twitter. So that was one interesting thing. But then there was a, a broader conversation about how, um, you know, we for a while, like social media kind of trained us to collect the biggest audience to us that we could, the most reach, the most likes, you know, it hit that dopamine drip of, you know, lots of people think what you're doing is important. Oh my God, look how many likes I got. Wow, this is going mm. viral. And how that is such an unnatural thing and, and that just kind of like breeds and invites trouble in a way that is is interesting because like people – the majority of people in the world, the vast majority, don't really get you. They don't know – they don't get the context of who you are as a person and what, what way you mean things and uh, how you would be saying them or how you would be – like why you have arrived at certain conclusions and, they, and there's no benefit of the doubt in that way. So that's very different from what normal human interaction is. Mm-hmm. And so they were saying like a much better thing to do rather than be obsessed with having a huge reach is having a small but understanding reach. And I thought because I – you know, I look at the numbers for this podcast – very small, uh, but it's a wonderful little. But understanding, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the thing. We know that the few listeners who are here are dedicated listeners. Yeah, yeah. I mean, small numbers compared to obviously, like you know, huge money making big podcast numbers or our audience on the radio. Like we're more honest here, I think, than even we are on the air because of mm. you know, it's just a it's a larger reach, and there's more people, more room for misunderstanding when there's more people. And it just breeds a really toxic interactions. And I just think that was really neat. And I just wanted to bring that particular part to this podcast because I love, you know, I love hearing from all of our podcast listeners so much whenever they text in or write in or send a web email to this web zone. Um, because because it is, it's a really nice little community of like-minded folks who are just here to have fun and, you know, not uh, argue or be mean or, or so much of that toxic type of behavior that is so widespread on the internet i mean like it would be cool to have those like giant podcast numbers that like some of the big heavy hitters get but do you feel like you know if we did would we be kind of changing up some of our content so that we don't get canceled or like you know censoring ourselves a little bit more or i don't think that like i'm not i'm not worried about being canceled i don't think anything we say well i don't know like Sometimes art is a real piece of trash. 
wow, dude. And all we do is laugh, where we should tell him yeah. off and tell him why he's bad. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, no, I think that we're generally like, you know, we, we I think we stand by what we say, but it also is fun and there also is, you never know, people just can take uh, lots of things to heart or mm. uh, to offense. And um, yeah, I just, you know, like think about, I think about Joe Rogan actually. If yeah. he had kind of a smaller, more niche, like his show should be niche. A bunch of like gym, mm-hmm. like 50 year old gym bros talking about doing drugs and, you know, conspiracy theories. That's, that shouldn't have the millions and millions of listeners that it does. Yeah. If it did, he probably would be happier with the reach that it did have. He could talk and explore these ideas. Should I take a horse medicine? You know, he could kind of do that safely, not do a lot of damage because it, you know, and not the fear of it doing damage because yeah. it was reaching such a wide audience. You know, that huge audience is is something that I think, you know, only belongs to a certain few who have, um, you know, the responsibility and the of of having really good information or quality content. But in answer to your question, Brian, yes, we probably would. <laughs> Well, because I'm just I'm just thinking is that, you know, we do have such a great audience like and it's a sort of a small niche audience that understand us. It does invite. Yeah, you're right. It does invite more room for um, misinterpreting some of our joke. Like, you know, if we had a giant audience and we're saying art's a piece of trash, they don't necessarily get that we're joking or that we're, you know, or right. We're, we're, you know, they, they sort of, it's not an inzy or we can't be too inzy with, with some of these, uh, you know, jokes and stories that we tell. Yeah. Know? Anything we did, any changes we made, uh, would be, would not be drastic. You know, we'd no. just be looking at things based on the wider audience than we have now. Yeah. And again, like obviously we should be behaving in a way and speaking as such and presenting ourselves in a way that, yeah, everyone could listen to it and, Hopefully no one would be upset, you know, but again, there are, there are very sensitive, sensitive sensibilities that, that, uh, are out there for sure. Or just people with mm. opposing views or there's, you know, super hardcore Star Wars fans who would maybe be very mad and not understand when I say that it's one endless trash. <laughs> <laughs> one groundbreaking movie, one really good movie and endless trash. Paul Blastino, everybody. He stands by his words. But you know, you get the context of it. other Star Wars fans would come at me and send me death threats for that very for that very normal and innocuous statement. Like that's what I mean, right? Do you guys and and it and so I just think it's a neat idea. I like that that's the new way I feel like a lot of people are kind of thinking about the internet and how they behave on it and what their kind of reach is. And also, like, as I think if you're chasing audience or clout or likes or numbers on the internet, I think it's yucky anyways. It's like, if that's what you're thinking about, gross, 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 gross. Because it should be a social thing. And you guys know about the monkey sphere mm-hmm. too, right? You've, I think maybe I've mentioned it before. There's a really interesting concept about the monkey sphere. And I remember reading about this, like, I think it was when I first moved to Victoria. So uh, it was interesting to me as, like, all of a sudden I'm on the radio and I, you know, have a bit of a, a little bit of an audience here that I know I'm reaching. And, and social media was kind of in its advent and growing. And the monkey sphere is the concept that, like, um, your monkey brain can really only handle the interactions between, like, a couple of hundred people tops. Oh, wow. Mm. 
And they proved this in a bunch of different ways and it, and the way that like societies build themselves and communities are. And, and so once you try and expand beyond that monkey sphere of interactions, uh, it starts to fall apart or, or the, or certainly like the interactions become of a far lesser quality. I get that. That's wild. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's an interesting concept. I'm probably summing it up wrong. You can go and just do a Google search of monkey sphere. And uh, I think it's a good thing to keep in mind when you're thinking about behaving on the internet, being on the internet. Should we be on Twitter? Should we, you know, and that's why, like I I said last week, I'm only on Instagram anymore. That really is the only one I'm interested in these days. It is also a little bit different. For uh, for us who are in media, and this is part of our careers because we do talk, you know, tend to talk on a regular basis to, you know, thousands of people at a time. We're talking to one microphone, but that one microphone reaches how many thousands of cars and people's ears, right? right? right. So we're already kind of used to talking um, to a massive amount of people, probably outside of that sort of the, the monkey, monkey, sphere. Mm-hmm. monkey sphere. Yeah. You know, um so we're we're sort of trained in that sense uh, in, in, ter- in terms of talking to a mass audience. But then there you, you think of somebody who has, you know, a little to no experience in that field, right, in the, in the media field. And now they're sort of given this platform to talk to more than just, you know, their, their family and friends. Yep. Right. That's the thing. We all had training. We had schooling on how to deal with this mm-hmm. stuff, mm-hmm. which is wild, honestly. But then, and but yeah, it also then then sort of kind of breeds that like you know it, it it's it's one way to sort of breed that either insecurity or you know even I, like mental health issues and stuff right mm-hmm, the, yeah. you know that I remember seeing this article once like back in the early days of social media linking uh, this the act of taking a selfie to you know a mental health issue. Oh know, wow. Or, yeah, yeah, and there's you, you know you you do kind of come up against that and sort of are challenged by these um, issues of like you know narcissism or or whatever where it's you know it, it it's like this need to put something out in the world mm-hmm. and if you're not putting something out there in the world then you feel like you're disappearing, right? Yep. Remember that? Um, oh shoot, who was that comedian? Is this like really dark comedian? He's still going these days. Uh, Anthony Jeselnik, oh yeah, his whole his whole uh, joke about thoughts and prayers, yes, you know, it's like oh, the, that, sure. that kind of very very dark joke about like you know when a tragedy happens, school shooting or whatever, and these people kind of feel the need to get on to their social media and say my thoughts and prayers are with the yeah. family or with the victims, yada yada yada, and he was his joke is all about saying, you know, what people are really saying is. Don't forget about me today. Exactly. You know, there's a lot of <laughs> the world is a crazy place, but don't forget that I exist. I've never forgotten that 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 don't forget about me line. I think about it every time I see something like this. Well, I sometimes think about it whenever I'm posting something. Is uh, like, sure. am I yeah. posting this because I just you know want to be seen mm-hmm. today? You know. Well, there's also, I mean, in, in cases like that too, I think there's that's the thing. That's the insidious thing that social media has trained us, and I think traditional media too, in a lot of ways. That if you weren't making a statement, if you weren't publicly posting your thoughts and prayers in these difficult mm. times, you were staying silent on this issue, and you have to say something about every single thing that happens all that time. Right, yeah, right. and it's like, nope, you Which sure is, don't. No. Yeah, you sure no. don't. Guess what? Well, because people. Because people's what? Well, I'm just saying, like people don't 
notice you missing from their newsfeed. You'll never be right. called out sure. if he's like, oh, you didn't post a thoughts and prayers thing on this thing that happened. What's going on with you? That, right? That's right. That's right. Because everybody else's newsfeeds is flooded with everybody else <laughs> doing the same. If the president that. doesn't have a thing to say about a, a school shooting or a terrorist attack, I, okay, then that's like notable silence. Guess yeah. what, everybody? Yank the president. <laughs> yeah. Yanked. And that's my call. <laughs> wow, this week on Bud's Weekly Geek Out. We're going from the monkey sphere to dresses that change color. Okay, that's great. Fine. <laughs> Feeling a little hollow and a little shallow here, but that's okay. Oh, no, it's a great geek out, Bud. I already heard it. I already interacted with you about it on the radio because I was filling in this week. I am going to go to the bathroom. Have a nice little chit-chat. Goodbye for a bit. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Appreciate your honesty. This week, I talked about Project Primrose. That was great. Oh, man, I can't even describe that. Paul did the old vaudeville arm pumping as he's leaving the camera angle uh, out of the room. Um, Oh, because he's he's going to pee. I guess so, sure. (laughs) Um, This week, I geeked about Project Primrose, which is a new uh, innovation from Adobe Okay, basically, basically think of this. Think of a think of a small mirror, and then you put a piece of vinyl over top of it. And the vinyl can either be translucent, or if you feed it the right kind of current, it can turn into like an, an opaque white. Multiply that by a couple hundred, put it on a dress, and you've got Project Primrose. So each of these little dragon scales or petals or tiles or whatever can be individually controlled. Uh, it's like a it's like a miniature version of a smart window. Uh, smart windows, which are super super cool, have in between um, you know two very tight panes of glass a bunch of electron affected thingies that can all be aligned uh, to to be opaque or scattered to be transparent. And so they have done this on a dress, and from the dress, who knows where it goes? Um, but it was a really interesting demo because not only was it, you know, it was a white dress and suddenly it was a chrome dress. Um, then it was a diamonds, chrome diamonds on a white dress. And then it was stripes and everything. And at the end of the demo, um, the cre- one the creator, like one of the three te- three person team made like a thick stripe on the dress and then like did a shimmy and the dress sort of like moved like it was waves of water inside. Like she was a, a human snow globe. It was a fascinating demo. Um, you know, and its practical uses beyond our, uh, who knows, but a uh, great start. Really, really interesting tech. Yeah. Cause like right now they've basically, and with the dress, you could probably put messages or whatever on it, I guess. hundred percent. Yeah. You can program <laughs> it completely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Draw things. Sure people will draw nice, normal things. Okay. Aside from then fashion wear, what would you use it for? Uh, what do you, the, what, do you uh, what do you see it being used for? The only other thing that they showed in their demo is uh, signs. And because like, you know, you, you lay them out on a flat surface and and uh, it's like the old leaderboards with like pixels, right? You turn each yeah. on and off. The only thing about this is it's a low energy dress because these are non-emissive. Um, they're like LCD screens as opposed to LED screens. So liquid crystal display where you need another source of light to see it as opposed to light emitting diode where it's like your phone where it makes its own light. So Paul initially thought up, I said signs and Paul's like traffic safety signs. I'm like, great. No, won't actually work in the dark. You know, you need another mm. light shining on it kind of thing. So 
um, more frivolous, less important uses for now. Um, but I do see it. I, I I would see it in in terms of wayfinding. Uh, if you had a sign that could, you know, you, you have arrows that change, you know, d- depending on which direction you want to herd your people, like in an airport or whatever, uh, yeah. the, the arrow could go from straight to left or right or a stop sign or whatever. So that or you can have be... people standing there with dresses and then arrows change. <laughs> yes, perfect. Yeah, just have a bunch of people in the dresses and then the arrow points them to the left and they all walk to the left. Hilarious. Yeah, some fancy evening wear to direct me <laughs> where to go to my terminal. I'm a sign. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was Bud's Weekly Geek Out. It was a great one. Now. Oh, cheers. Coming soon. The Beekeeper. A movie actually about a beekeeper. But that's just his cover job. Apparently, beekeeper is part of, you know, the... the, the it's a government code name for a very talented person with guns it's a jason statham movie so uh, but what i love about it is that the first scene in the trailer where you see him i guess beekeep is within an office where they are doing scams and so i really actually love that i love that uh, he came by and uh, burned to the ground this entire scammer's office and then it goes from there and you get more into his history and it's a jason statham fighting movie and he's still doing his thing yeah, I knew you would like that, bud. Yeah, very much. Good. I know. I like. <laughs> I like. They the the connection they draw to like. They call this the secret society of super highly trained assassins and arsonists. I guess. Yeah. They call them the beekeepers, and then he's like arsonists because apparently honey burns really well. <laughs> evidently, I don't know if that's true, but okay. And then he's like. He's like, I protect the hive. That's his line. <laughs> right. That's uh, his, yeah. And that's exactly why they call it the beekeepers. They want these uh these action movie one liners in Jason Statham's like voice. It's like, oh, I'm gonna pollinate you now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. That was great. That's nice time to it. sweeten your tea. <laughs> Leave the stinger in or it will get infected or I don't know. So <laughs> <laughs> that's how they no, I but yeah, it, it's so fun. well. It's so it's just it's like it's like a interesting type of like uh, John Wickish revenge porn thing. You know, it's like so um, Tarantino did uh, slavery, Nazis, and the Manson family, and then of course you got dog dog killers. John Wick killed the dog killers. Yep. Yep. Uh, home invasion stuff. I think was that nobody movie, right? Yep, that's mm-hmm. one. So we've made our way down to. Um, Online scammers, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of people who need to Which, be you know, brutally murdered for revenge. If you want a bad guy in the world, I'm okay. Hey, hey, you know what? It it showed, except for like the high ring leaders who got the stuffing beat out of him. It showed most of the people running from the building before it exploded, and he was still in there. So presumably, he let everybody go before he blew up the building. But so. the douche, the like young douche. Right, uh, he, that, I'm pretty like, sure he left him in the building to burn up. Yeah. Well, no, there's like archetypal character of like young bro douche in like a um, brown, but like it's more of like a creamy baby food color brown suit. Yeah, no conscience. Cuts his hand off in the trailer, or cuts his fingers That's off. That's right. And then um, ties him to a truck, and then drives the truck off a big cliff. Oh, that's right. That was the right. Yeah. 
And I can't, yeah, I can't remember if that was bad dummy or bad CG, but it was one of the things that were bad. <laughs> but either way, it's just like, there's no villains. The Cold War is over. Who do we make as a villain? Who can be brutally murdered in a, yeah. in a movie that we can feel good about? I know. Don't you hate when the scam happens on the internet? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> if I had a gun, I would make the cocking gun sound right now, but I don't. So, you know. Next up, Leave the World Behind. This will be a Netflix film released in select theaters on November 22nd and then on Netflix on December 8th. Uh, this drew me in because it's Sam Esmail, who is the guy behind Mr. Robot. So it starts out fair enough. You have uh, Julie Roberts and Ethan Hawke playing a husband and wife, and she, she just up and booked them an Airbnb type of thing, and they go to this beautiful house, and things are a little squiffy with technology. The Wi-Fi's not working. They, mm. they can't get signal from their phones. Mm. And then these two people show up saying, this is actually, this is our house. Uh, we had to come back. And, but, you know, and Julia Roberts is like, but we rented this house. And then worldwide cyber attack, huge blackout. And what happens now? Yeah, I, there's a lot that I, because I, I clicked play on this trailer and didn't really know what to expect. And, um, yeah, it went all over the place. Yeah. And then it's like, yeah, oh, it's kind of almost post-apocalyptic Yeah, <laughs> in the end. So. Well, well, or yeah, literally kind of... present apocalyptic. Yeah. And also Kevin Bacon's in it. Yeah. Oh. Next up, Lego Marvel Avengers colon Code Red. Disney Plus, Friday. Bad voices. That's uh, Bad uh, voices. I mean, not the best. No, never in the Marvel Avengers or the Lego stuff. So. I live in hope. <laughs> what do you want, Robert Downey Jr. to come down there and lay down some tracks? Uh, no, I, but I mean, I know there are good sound alikes for a lot of celebrities. And like, yeah. can we find one? It's got to be a sound alike. It's got to be like Robert Downey Jr. It's got to be like Chris Evans. It's got to be like all those guys. That's what they. Well, actually, Captain America never sounded like Chris Evans, the Lego Captain America, anyway. But uh, I, I don't know. I think only, only Iron Man in Lego was ever, you know, they ever want made or wanted to make them sound like Robert Downey Jr. Really? And Paul, in answer to your question, either yes, yeah, or way no, yeah, give yeah. them completely individual different from the movie voices but these are like people are trying to be like the movie voices well that's the little double-edged sword there of doing a really good job of casting these people and making iconic movies is that if you're trying to use the same characters for lesser properties and just squeeze a few more shekels out of it i guess is what they're doing Mm -hmm. um then yeah then you have this problem of all your fans being bumped because they know and love one voice as that character now that's you you know comics no big deal you read a comic book and you probably hear robert downey jr or whoever in your head for stuff like this not so much next up ghostbusters spirits unleashed which uh released almost oh that's hilarious it released a year and a day on Windows, PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, Xbox One, Xbox X and S. A year and a day later, released on Switch. Thanks, guys. That's great. Hmm. Uh, Switch is one of these weird consoles where they are literally half a generation behind um, in their technical specs because that is not what they're concerned about. The problem is, is you have 
um, developers like this company, Ilphonic, making games for all of the current gen consoles. And if Switch wants to be a part of that, you got to do a little bit of tweaking and and shaving to make it work on that console. And it took a year and a day. So here we are. Uh, but So it's Ghostbusters colon Spirits Unleashed. But now we have the Ecto Edition, which is the Switch Edition, which will come with all the DLC that was released in the last year, which is kind of cool. And apparently still has, you know, your standard graphical or jittery uh, glitches, um, but apparently plays okay and is not a bad game, except that it is fairly predictable in a Ghostbusters game. You're a new Ghostbuster. You get to bust ghosts. Uh, and one one interesting little part is that you can also play a ghost, which is neat. But that's uh, neat. yeah, that's out now. All right, let me do my joke. Maybe they just re-released Luigi's Mansion with a different name on it. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul. Maybe that's what they did. Uh, oh, are the hey? Speaking of voice actors, are the original Ghostbusters in this game? Because they certainly were in the video game that I had for the Wii, and that came out for the generation of of console games. Then, two of them are. Which ones? Um, um, Dan Aykroyd is Ray Stance, and uh, Winston Zedmore played by. Uh-huh. Ernie Hudson. Thank you, Ernie Hudson. Yeah. No Bill Murray on this one. No, because you can nope. find Bill Murray impersonators for cheaper. <laughs> just like how they don't get Robert Downey Jr. for Lego. Well, uh, you could just get the guy who did the voice of Garfield. Yeah. Lorenzo Music also died. He died? Oh. Lorenzo Music died quite a while ago. Yeah. He did? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what a voice. He had such a great voice. Did we do a death tribute for him? Oh, no, no, this is pre-pod, I think. Oh, we should have. Lorenzo did... Music died in 2001. Aww. Oh. So, yeah, he did the voice of Garfield for the Garfield and Friends cartoon show, and then also, this is the joke here, is that he famously also did the voice for Peter Venkman in the ghost, the real Ghostbusters cartoon show. Yeah. Right. Which was interesting. Phenomenal then. cartoon show. Beca- yeah. That Bill Be- Murray then did Golf Garfield <laughs> later on. Yes. So, oh, that's too bad. That would have been a good one. You know, oh, that's too bad. And as I recall, Bill Murray did the Garfield movie because he got the director's names confused and thought he was working with a much more prominent director. <laughs> but they which led to the joke in Zombieland. Do you have any regret? And when he got shot in the chest, and he's like, "Do you have any regrets in life?" And he's like, "Garfield, maybe." Yeah. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. <laughs> and they paid him one million teacher salaries. Wow. Um, Yeah, that's too bad. Uh, That's Bill Murray. Is Venkman in it? Have you played this game, bud? I have not played this game. Uh, A, it just came out for the Switch a few days ago. B, my list is gigantic of games I still need to play. And C, this, uh, just just especially based on the reviews, this is not like a game I'll be jumping for. Okay. But we do leave a, a Nintendo Life review in the show notes. Finally, and coming soon, Jurassic Park in concert is coming here November 9th at 7.30 p.m. to the Royal Theater. The, uh, the Victoria Symphony will be playing dinosaur music. Yay. I'm very into it. It's a gorgeous, beautiful soundtrack. One of John Williams' best. Yeah. Mm. You know, you can say by the 1990s, that guy still had it. He still got it. You know, think of a whole new soundscape and music structure and themes for a whole new movie and absolutely nailed it. And you don't think of dinosaurs without thinking of, you know, the Jurassic Park theme song anymore. It's no. it's so good. And is it just, just November 9th, just the one night only? So far as I know, yeah. 
Okay. Let's go. Pod date movie team. Pod date movie team. (laughs) Geek news proper. SAG-AFTRA and the AMPTP have resumed negotiations. Well, that's really all it is. We'll just have to see how it goes. This thing restarted talks uh, yesterday, Tuesday, the 24th, as we... Read this, so we will know nothing at a as at you know at this pod recording. But uh, who knows if there will be anything next week? They broke off talks earlier because the two sides were too far apart. Yeah. Well, thank God Jimmy Fallon is running out of Rolling Stones to talk to. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I think last week we made the joke that he's like Ronnie Wood. He's talking to Ronnie Wood. What the heck? And. Uh, and then, sure enough, he did talk to Keith Richards, which was quite good. And then he oh, did. he's working his way up. Yeah, and I think he had Mick on as well. No uh, kidding. He's this week. He's had Josh Groban on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. John Stamos, I guess, doesn't count as a as an actor anymore. Oh, interesting. Um, no, in fact, there we go. John Stamos on his memoir. There, he's there. Oh, Take, author. He's on author. books. He's yeah, there he's amazing. An author and. Performing with the Beach Boys is the other thing he talks about. There you go. He's an author, mm. he's a musician, and he remembers Bob Saget. Oh, boy. Phenomenal. But otherwise, it also would be great to have movies back. We're going to have to wait. <laughs> the original date for Mission Colon Impossible Space and Space, Space Dead Reckoning Part 2 was going to be June 28, 2024. That has now been pushed to May 23rd, 2025. Oh, this man. Is, this is one of those lovely quirks that if we ever get an audience that is like one of those big time heavy hitter podcasts. Oh, and shoot, they, they're not going to put up with my colons, are they? They hear but reading like the, the way he does with movie <laughs> titles. Yeah. They're not going to get it. They're not going to put up with it. No. Mission colon impossible space M dash space dead <laughs> reckoning. That's what the title is. <laughs> yeah. There's not an inside joke there. That's just Bud being very <laughs> literal with these ridiculous movie titles. Right. Did I miss yeah. Something? Pretty much. That's how it started. We just, we talked about everything being colon, 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 colon. This was early days of the pod. Yeah. And this is where that came up with. And it's like that kind of organic stuff just has to happen. You can't force yeah. it. Yeah. You know? And then maybe people will come go back to previous but why do they say recommendation? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's a tomatometer? Yeah. Oh, boy. oh boy. So this is um I mean it's so funny, right? Like I saw that last Mission Impossible movie and I was like, Great, that's good. And then it's like a big cliffhanger, like to be continued. Of course. And I was like, okay, all right, I'll I'll see the next one. But I'm not like, it's not like I'm sitting here just like salivating and like, I got to know what happens to Tom Cruise. What does he jump his motorcycle off this time? How are they going to, how are they going to reckoning this? And it's like, it's like, whatever it comes out, I'll just see it then. (laughs) What if it was like, they ended it, they cut the credits or did a to be continued while he was in the middle of that cliff jump? Oh, Does he man. make it? We'll have to find out in the next movie. Riots. We'd have riots in the streets. <laughs> or they'd just bummer. go to YouTube and see, you know, more. I, I'm kind of the same, though, with Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Um, the, the thing that, like, is really set my household ablaze is the fact that uh, uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse or Beyond the Spider-Verse is definitely not coming out in March of next year. 
because of you know as a result oh, of, of you know, writers and, yeah and, boo. and actor strike and at the same time because we I, we also found out too that um it's not like with with beyond the spider-verse and across the spider-verse it's not like they did those movies at the same time when across the spider-verse when the credits rolled uh on across the spider-verse beyond the spider-verse they didn't start it yet you know they were still in the process right. of, of making it and uh, I don't know if that's even like outside of the writer strike. If something like that is necessarily, if maybe that's just the fault of Sony and like poor planning and stuff. But um, but yeah, with then knowing that it's it's got a deadline, it's going to be out in March of 2024. Oh, but now there's a writer's strike and now there's an actor's strike. So there's no way this thing is getting made until after after both of those are resolved yeah. that is sort of what's setting the household ablaze now with a household full of spider-man fans that's a shame i'm sorry we have one piece of rumors and hearsay and that is that hassan Mijaj, uh, minaj is reportedly mm-hmm. out as the new host of the daily show this comes from consequence i did try to fact check it but everybody is just talking about reports and oh right it's puck news again this this puck news reporting on things um now you had some thoughts on this paul yeah let's let's just operate you gotta delve into the why uh uh, first before we we delve into thoughts right and it's because uh allegedly report allegedly well yeah well, it was a report in the New Yorker uh, that had revealed that he'd embellished some stories of discrimination in his stand-up act. Um, is that a good enough reason? Because like, aren't stand-up acts like isn't the point of it to be, you know, some of it is to be embellished. Like, I don't think all of Kevin Hart's stories or right. Dave Chappelle's right. stories or any of those stories are all a hundred percent factual. Yeah, exactly. And this is, this it's is my point here. Thing. Let's, uh, let's assume that this is all correct. Let's assume that he was uh, close to the job or, or it was essentially his to lose. This report came out that said that thing. And cause I think in it, he says that 70% of his act is fully true. The other 30% is hyperbole. Uh, and then, uh, Which you're allowed to do. Well, and then he loses the job. Yeah, that's right. And then Comedy Central says, "Oh, what? Really? You were you were exaggerating whatever happened to you in your life? Uh, you can't be our host. If that's the case, let's operate like it is." Yeah, I don't know. Is that a is that a good reason to to not let someone have that job? Does a a reason like that have any precedent? Has this ever happened before where a network looks at the amount of truthiness in their hosts, stand-up comedy, side jobs, you know, routines? Who's fact-checking that? Like, I mean, I guess that was his own admission, but still, he's an actor. Like, yeah, it's stand-up. It's an art form where, yeah, you take creative liberties. It's an art form. Yeah. Is it because... You know, The Daily Show is more of a news-oriented show, and it deals with factual things. No. Uh, well, I should hope not. That's a, I would think that's still a bad reason, mm-hmm. right? Because it's yeah. not a news show. It is a, still a comedy show. Uh, no one would be like, you know, it's very clear on that show what's true and what's not. You know, they present a, mm-hmm. an article or a piece of news, and then they make jokes about it. There's the pretty 
fair line. I don't think people are going to be watching at home being like, well, I can't trust anything this guy says. <laughs> but I mm-hmm. think what it, what it is here is not so much about like, oh, he lied one time or he embellished on stage. It's the fact that is there is there an idea that he built his fandom or his career on these stories of going through discrimination? And mm-hmm. and then it's like, you know, lying about being at 9-11. Well, and did he say at every show, this is the truth? You know, like, I, it, it's a comedy show. No, but I know. But, like, is he benefiting from other people's trauma or from... Uh, from e- exaggerating the amount, you know, of of discrimination that he and his family went through, and is that right. what's wrong about it? So that, that's for is me, he, is like, not, yeah, is he kind of taking advantage of of a victim card that might be false? Exactly, exactly. It's not right, about right. lying. It's about specifically what they say was embellished. Because mm-hmm. that's a touchier subject, and that's what I'm trying to like. I, I'm open to this. I my initial reaction was like. That's not a good reason to just not give this guy a job or to, to like, drop him from a done deal. Um, but am I wrong about that? Is that a, a sensitive thing? Like, that's what I just don't quite know. Um, I don't know. I I think I like him a lot. I think he's done good work in the past. I think his voice is, like, fresh and new and, and he does a really good job presenting. So it... It's see, and he kind of comes from the Daily Show stable, right? So it like it all mm-hmm. just seemed like a slam dunk of a choice, as close to a slam dunk as you're gonna get trying to replace Trevor Noah. Yeah, and so it's just wild that they were like, ah, nope, for that reason, nope, no good. But it could all just be a lie because it comes from PuckNews.fart. <laughs> <laughs> So what are we even talking about here? <laughs> we have one we have one piece of listener mailbags on our you and said, this seems interesting. As an actor on strike, be careful what you dress up for as Halloween. I think we touched on this last week with uh, with Weird Al, but The Guardian has the actual flyer uh, that was sent out. It looks like it was sent out by SAG-AFTRA, you know, SAG-AFTRA on strike, Halloween 2023. Make Halloween a scream with these SAG-AFTRA strike-friendly tips and tricks. And again, they're suggesting going as generic things like ghosts or zombies, uh, dressing up as characters from non-struck productions like an animated TV show, and don't post photos of costumes inspired by struck content to local uh, to social media. Now, somebody though, uh, like came back and hit pretty hard at this and was just like, "Shut up! This is not. Don't tell me what to do." Uh, it was Ryan Reynolds, actually. Ryan Reynolds Who says, slams yes. SAG-AFTRA's Halloween costume guidelines. The tweet is, I look forward to screaming scab at my eight-year-old all night. She's not in the union, but she needs to learn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mandy Moore also chimed in. Is this a joke? Come on, SAG-AFTRA. Is this is what's important? Seems... I mean, and so this is what we were touching on last week, too, with the Weird Al thing. And and Weird Al didn't tweet this, right? He tweeted the reaction to it like, oh, no, people can't dress up like me because my movie is struck. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 
which again would be a, a great loss for the Halloweens of the world because mm-hmm. Weird Al costumes every year are hilarious. But if it only affects other actors, who knows? No Paul mm-hmm. Rudd. We are on to reviews and recommendations, starting with Brian's 91-second movie review of Killers of the Flower Moon. Oh, I appreciate that because it gave me a little bit more time to fuck it up. Yeah. Zone.fm slash movies. Okay, I haven't actually pre-listened to this, Brian. I'm excited. Art and I saw the movie together last night and are really excited to hear what you say about it because we had some thoughts. We were screaming at the end of the movie theater. Um, so let's go ahead and hear what you say about it. And now, a zone at 913, 91 second movie review. 5, 4, 3, 2, and action! Based on the 2017 novel by David Grant, Killers of the Flower Moon depicts the serial murder of members of the Osage Nation, who became some of the richest people in the 1920s after the discovery of oil under their land. It's directed by Martin Scorsese and is sixth film with Leonardo DiCaprio and tenth with Robert De Niro. There are also some standout appearances from pretty notable actors, but to me, the performance that overshadowed all of them was that of Lily Gladstone. Gladstone plays Osage Nation member Molly Burkhardt and is easily the most captivating person in the movie. Even in scenes when she has no dialogue, her character depth, attitude, and passion come through, making her character magnetic and giving us a pretty clear picture of the tragic devastation she endured. I wouldn't be surprised to see a few nods to her performance come award season. Overall, Killers of the Flower Moon is a decent watch. I appreciate its intent to shed light on the murders and treatment of the Osage people, but feel like it missed the mark in a few places. It's constructed a bit more like a crime drama than it is a mystery, which is a bit of a departure from the novel, and that's fine if you like Scorsese crime dramas, but it certainly didn't need to be three and a half hours long. I also think there were a few lingering shots and cinematic choices that felt self-indulgent and seemed to take a good amount of focus away from the genocide that was taking place. And what tipped the scales more toward the self-indulgent thought was the way Scorsese chose to end the film. While kind of interesting, it was mostly distracting and trivialized the 3 hours and 20-ish minutes that preceded. Killers of the Flower Moon is a captivating story, but the choice to remove the mysterious element in order to deliver yet another Scorsese crime drama solidifies it as a one-time watch for me. Cut! That's a wrap! You can get all of Brian's 91-second movie reviews at thezone.fm slash movies. Wow, you nailed it. I think you absolutely, that was exactly right, Brian. Long. <laughs> too goddamn long. long. Yeah, I know. Wow. I hate when your movie it's, reviews are so good that you, where there's nothing really left to talk about. All I, <laughs> it's, it's, no, there's a lot to talk. There's honest, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, and yeah. Let, let's, let's dive into your thoughts about it being long. Too damn long. I was, I, so when I was there, I was just like, uh, loving it loving it enjoying it i was like wow this is great and everything and and then i started to be like this is dragging and then i looked at my mm. watch i was like still a fucking hour left of this thing are you kidding me yeah. or or more at that point i was like oh my god and it really was more than an hour too long like and and i hate to say that that like this movie this very important subject matter something that you know i would rather see 10 more movies made about um, that time in history and in, and especially how it pertains to uh, white folks and indigenous people and, and what was going mm. on there. I mean, there's there's nothing but drama and heartbreak and, and and all that to explore in that subject matter. And for this one to be the really the, uh, the – well, the first in a long time anyways, big movie to get real deep into it and explore that subject matter – 
to be so long, I thought really watered it down. And the movie just in general would have been much stronger if it weren't so goddamn long. Yeah. Yeah. If it was stronger, more watchable. Staying power. Yeah. Rewatchability. Yes. Um, there were parts. And so that's the thing, too, is that like, well, watching it, I found myself getting impatient mm. at parts. And I don't remember if, uh, know if you remember this scene, but there's this scene that for whatever reason, uh, it was happening. It was like a, at a, an event or an outdoor party or something. Mm-hmm. And it focused on this guy that was dancing. And that's all it was doing for. And the, it, the scene went on like the, the dancing guy went on for, I don't know how many minutes, really? but it, it just focused on him for, and it, it didn't come back. There was like, it didn't show the dancing guy at all ever mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. later on in the movie, kind of even forget who he was. Mm. So it didn't really have any consequence and it just felt self-indulgent. It felt like, you know, Scorsese behind the camera just because he could. And then the same thing where it's like showing, um, I think it was like something being set on fire, right? Like mm-hmm. a house being set on fire or lands being set on fire. And it kept going back to this shot of like this sort of slow motion shot of people sort of stoking the fire yeah. and kept going back to it over and over and over within that scene. And it added so many minutes yes. to it that I was getting impatient, like going, come on already, like yeah. get on with this. Yeah. So I, yeah, it, because it felt you know, there, there are parts that felt very self-indulgent. And because I was already kind of impatient and wanted to get to the end of this thing already, it just straight felt like, like, man, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to click play on this or hit play on this again. Yeah. You know, when it comes to streaming, like it just, it, it, no, it doesn't feel like a movie that I'd really want to watch again. Where he's made movies before, like The Departed, that I can watch over and over and over. Of course. So. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I completely agree. Yeah. And it was, it's. Oh, God, it's just such a shame because everything in it is Mm -hmm. terrific. The performances are great. The uh, I I thought the structure and, you know, I think you made a good point, too, though, that like it could have been presented as as a mystery. But I guess (laughs) the assumption is that enough people should know the story by now or maybe have read the book and kind of know how it goes. I mean, yeah, the – that's how the book was presented. The, the book was presented like a mystery. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think some complaints mm-hmm. about the book itself is that it also kind of under sells how many people were actually killed. Like this, mm. uh, the amount of people that were actually killed in this thing, according to, you know, historical reports and stuff. I think they, they were in the hundreds. Wow. But yes. Yeah. So, but the, you know, the movie and the book only shows a few murders. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so it really kind of, you know, the impact is a little bit lessened by by the book in that sense. And I think maybe you're right. I think like uh, Scorsese probably just wanted to tell this story, tell the story the best way he knows how and doesn't necessarily make any sort of attempt to hide the fact that uh, it's it greedy white people that want to that, that are doing this. Yeah. Right. Um, OK, I'll um, I'll just drop a spoiler alert here now because there's a couple of things, spoilery things I want to get into. Um mm. But you're going to cans off for this? Uh, oh, yeah. he will. We'll wave at you. Well, I thought it was very interesting that – so I was listening to a podcast about the set design actually uh, before mm-hmm. I went to go see it um, So this past weekend. And uh, I'm glad I listened to it because it, it, it made me kind of look closer at the sets and how well they were designed and built. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and they really, really did a great job. And the, the designer there is like a guy, he's like in his seventies, I think. And he has yeah. like, a, had a long career doing movies and has a really great like eye for detail and attention. And, um, like he, he, he makes the sets in such an authentic way that it really brings you into the movie in an extra special way. Like it's so great. Yep. And, and, you know, uh, not to pit again, of course, the easy movie against a Marvel movie, but it's like the absolute antithesis of just doing it all in post and CGI and doing exactly, it on yeah. a green screen background. He like not only makes it, you know, puts up the facade of a, you know, old timey town or whatever. He like really builds it. They do an incredible amount of research. Uh, one of the main sets in this movie's in this movie was the uh, pool hall, and mm. the the barbershop was in the pool hall right yeah and that they found out was just like a very historically accurate like a time appropriate thing era appropriate thing that would happen is that they would just they would have a pool hall and then the barber would set up a couple of chairs in there yeah and and they looked at old records of the town even you know that it was taking place and they they were like wow of the five pool halls three of them had barber shops in them yeah. So that's why they did that. But that was a, a really specific choice that they made. So so there's so much good stuff. But in the same podcast, they were kind of explaining the movie and they were like, uh, yeah, it's about this mo- this uh, woman, Molly, and uh, turns out her husband is involved in killing all her family. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hmm. Her husband, her husband? Oh, hey, spoiler alert here, dude. Yeah. Leo's the killer? I don't know if he was going to be that involved. I don't know. He looks pretty shady in some scenes in the trailer, but what? And But then when you watch the movie, you realize it's like from the start, that's just how it goes. That's just. Yep. They're not making any plans to hide that. There's no mystery. Yeah. 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 So I don't know if it would have been better or worse if it was a mystery and if it turned out like, oh my God, can you believe at the end the big reveal? It was her husband and his uncle? What? Hmm. Yeah. And I think that that again has is is as a perspective thing they needed throughout the movie to know about the perspective and how stressful it was to do these murders rather than mm-hmm. focusing on the perspective because they would have had to frame it all from probably Molly and her families but the, and see that. that's just, this is where i start to kind of think about whether or not that would have been a better choice right. because I really thought that Lily Gladstone carried this movie and to be able to see her sort of like the devastation and the toll this took on her, mm-hmm. she did kind of a little bit, you know, uh, you know, throughout the second half, maybe the second half of this, of the second act and throughout a little bit of the third act, she sort of took a bit of a back seat because I guess they were, you know, poisoning her and her, she was just in the hospital or whatever. Yeah, she was just, in bed, you know, yeah, in bed sorry. the whole time. Yeah. Um, so you're now focusing on these, these guys that are just like, you know, they've plotted these murders and now they're trying to figure out how to scheme to get out, away from, you know, the FBI that's now <laughs> investigating them. And yes. it's all kind of becoming about that. Um, and not necessarily about like, it's, it's like if with Lily taking the backseat, it's like the Osage nation taking the backseat in mm-hmm. this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I was thinking about like, oh, whether or not it would have been better to, have you know some of those revelations kind of come to light as a bit of a surprise that oh shit I didn't know like maybe uh, what's his name Robert De Niro's character you know King what King, they call him yeah. you know 
maybe he's like he's evil the whole, we we always knew he was evil kind of thing and but then the whole leo thing being involved in it like maybe if they made the whole poison thing a little bit more subtle yeah it's like maybe he didn't know you know and yeah. like all of that stuff i just thought maybe that that could have been a better choice for it plus the way and and i know we were talking a little bit off the pod about you know the white savior element that i found to be somewhat prevalent in this so did you think Plemons came in there and was white savior not necessarily so okay so mm. i think of it in a couple of different ways one um Leo's character sort of being the protagonist throughout and then sort of him you're also kind of questioning it was like I think he he loves his wife and he has sort of a change of heart he obviously some terrible things had to happen like his daughter had to die mm-hmm. in order for him to have have that change of heart mm-hmm. but he almost kind of came out as a little bit of the savior of that and then yeah Jesse Plemons not so so much he was just the the investigator or whatever and even that whole thing was was shown to be like it's just really the fbi they weren't even called the fbi at that point they're just called the bureau of investigation yeah they just needed something to do yeah right yeah um and then apparently they were paid a lot of money by the osage nation to go and investigate mm-hmm. um so there's that sense in in terms of like the way that the story was written but i'm almost even talking about like white savior in terms of Freaking Scorsese himself, like, just he wanted to show the world that he's the one telling this story, which is why he came out in the end uh, as reading the obituary of uh, uh, of uh, Molly, yeah, of Molly Burkhart. Right? I know, and yeah. It, it, like at that point, I was like, oh, come on, right? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of cringed when you know. At first, it, there's that scene. It, it switches to that scene. So that's the thing that I'm talking about too. Like the, yeah. the thing that tips the scales toward the self indulgent mm-hmm. is that you know they they wrap up this story and then the last ten minutes is reserved for instead of being a slate on the screen saying here's what happened to the these various people, it was like oh this whole time it was an old fashioned radio play from the 40s, which I thought was the story. I thought it was good. I liked that. Well, because I'm a big radio nerd, I think I liked you know, and and then they really focused on the guys doing the Foley sound effects and everything. And yeah, it was an interesting choice that I enjoyed in the moment. But I understand, like looking back, it's like, is that the best way to wrap this movie? And then I know, and then I because I was at first, I was like, I think my mind as a radio nerd was like. Oh, I like this because I like radio stuff. Yes. And cool. wouldn't it be cool to, to do this like nowadays, you know, do an old-fashioned radio play at the Royal Theater or whatever. Yeah. But, I so went to that one last part. year. What's that? I went to one last year. Oh, nice. Yeah, they were doing Dracula at uh, one of the uh, – the that small theater that's over in like Rock Bay, whatever that is. Oh. Yeah, and they did. They had – they had the, like – there's two guys doing Foley sound effects while Foley the sound. radio play and you're watching it live in the theater. It is. It's very cool. Dude, small two-minute tangent. I did pitch this for the radio station once where we did like – where we do an all-live day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, like live musicians in there and like live reads of commercials with Foley artists and stuff. Yep. And uh, they, I think they – Johnny turned it down. But then there's a station in Seattle that did it. That does it, yeah. <laughs> it sounded phenomenal. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so there's that. It That got me out of it a little bit. But thinking, oh, this is kind of cool because I'm a radio nerd. Yeah. And then I also see Jack White is in it. And I was like, oh, that's cool too. Very cool. But then when you think about it, you think then like it almost takes away from this being a true story. 
mm. you know, or from, from this thing being an actual piece of history that yes. was being told. Yes. Because now it's all of a sudden it's now you're you're out of it. You're being pulled out of that reality and it's just the true crime radio drama being yeah. performed live in, in the 40s. Right. Uh, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, here comes the director of the whole fucking movie to read the obituary of Molly Burkhart. And you, I, it, it kind of made me cringe a little bit and I yeah. almost would have preferred, especially because I just wanted to get out of there too because it's been <laughs> already three hours and 20 minutes, yes. almost would have preferred a slate and then credits. Yeah. You know? I agree. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. It was a, I don't know if I'm mad at it. It sounds like you're mad at it, but. I, I a little, <laughs> well, because a little bit, because it, like what you were saying, this is an important story to yeah. tell. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. all of these, and, and the fact that, like, I love the fact that he did turn this into, like, this was a Western. It was a full on Western. Totally. But like old school Westerns, if you go back and look at old school Westerns and they're showing cowboys versus Indians, yeah. the cowboys are the good guys. Yes, Obviously, yes. this is a Western where they're showing the cowboys are the protagonists, but they are the bad guys yes. in this. And I thought that was an important choice to make. I thought this is an important movie to make. What got me there to, to, to even watch the movie was the freaking trailer where they use hallucination yes in the soundtrack of the trailer yeah you know yeah um but then yeah i I felt let down disappointed by uh, you know by some of the choices made me too i still i still overall i still think it was a pretty good movie um but there are certain things that they could have done he could have done differently i thought yeah i thought it was interesting i saw even like a quick trailer today that was like the best movie of the year, Kills of the Flower Moon. I was like, I uh, no, I'm so sorry. It's like, and at a similar runtime, you know, Oppenheimer kept me way more engaged. Yeah, uh, you know, and and that's a shame. And so I understand, but again, with that important uh, topic and subject matter and story to tell, I guess that's what Scorsese thought. That's why he thought he had the license to go ahead and be three and a half hours. But yeah. it just didn't work for that particular story. Or maybe it's the particular way that he told it. And, yeah, you're right. The the things he lingered on and the things that um, – it, it, yeah, it just wasn't balanced. I think that if you cut an hour and a half out of it uh, yeah, or, you know, maybe an hour and 15 or something and balanced the story a, a little more, you know, fo- more focused on Molly and uh, and her her story and her perspective of everything going on – yeah, mm. yeah, you would have had less Leo and Deca- and um, De Niro just acting their hearts out. And I mm-hmm. understand if you're if you're Scorsese and you get these two powerhouse actors, boy oh boy, you want to make sure they're on the screen as much as possible. And I appreciated that, but I think that underestimates yeah what a presence uh, Lily Gladstone was on the screen and how much more it really was her story that was the one that was we should have been paying attention to. I don't know. Yeah. Were you surprised by all the other people that like John Lithgow I had no clue was in this movie. I no completely clue. forgot that I saw Brendan Fraser in the trailer <laughs> and then he just like barreled in there yelling like yeah. <laughs> crazy like a tornado coming into the scene. He was good, yeah. Yeah. I, I had no clue how many other people were, you know, were gonna show up in this thing. Yeah. Yeah, so worth watching, I would say, you know? I mm. I started to hear rumblings and grumblings about length and and whatever else for this movie because there was a lot of obviously positive hype um mm. and then i started to hear stuff like that and i was like hmm so i my expectations started to be tempered a little bit but i i couldn't believe like how kind of mad i was at the end of it <laughs> or you know with an hour left on my watch um i also think too 
what might be the case is it seems to me this might be a big part of our perspective as well, Brian, is that we mm. in Canada, especially in recent years and with the news and everything that's, you know, our, our we have a national day to uh, focus on reconciliation between uh, indigenous peoples and the rest of the citizens of this country and uh, the atrocities and the genocide that happened here. We in Canada are it feels like like we're just a few steps or maybe it's a bunch of big steps ahead of the United States and where they mm. are at with their reckoning of that thing that happens in their country right. as well, just as bad as or worse. Um, yeah, it's like they got slavery to deal with as well in a big way, oh, yeah. right? So like it feels like they – if the emotional bandwidth is, and especially in the last few years, is so taken up with those types of race relations, they don't have also the room or time. It's such a horrible thing to say, but like right now to deal with this other huge group of people that we, you know, did all this horrific stuff to. And so I just wonder if if we're coming at it from a more Canadian, a little bit more of a progressive a viewpoint than Scorsese or anyone in the States. As much as you can tell this issue is important to them and they tried to yeah. do do right by it in the movie. I mean, yeah, because when you are listening to even just sort of, you know, promo for for this, um, even the Osage Nation, now they they wrote something about about this and thanking Martin Scorsese for even just telling this story. Right. And, right. and this is an important movie. Um, so I think we are, yeah, maybe a little bit nitpicky because, uh, I, and I don't, yeah, I don't want to say that necessarily we're, we're, we're many steps ahead, uh, of the U S but yeah, we, we maybe because we are able to ha- have a little bit more of a focus on, on what's happening within our borders and or, or what's happened within our borders, um, and, and be a little bit more sensitive to it and maybe necessarily be a little bit more sensitive to, you know, sort, sort of missteps and decisions that could have been made with with this film and with the way to tell this story Mm -hmm. so yeah but overall too long yeah do we bring butt in should we bring butt back yeah let's bring butt back i know art had some uh some real things to say about it too so uh i'm sure with like a little more reflection over a week maybe hopefully art can join us next week and i know he's got some things to say about it and then we can maybe revisit oh should i read his worthless review on twitter Oh, okay. Um, it pretty much wraps it up what he had to say about it, but I would like to hear more. I th- I'm sure he would have more th- and interesting things to say. Art Aronson. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon was an hour too long. Disappointing because it's truly an important story. I think he took that from me. I said that in the theater. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely could have been a short miniseries on HBO. Leo was good as always, but this is not a rewatchable Scorsese film. Ooh. Mm. He took that from Brian. No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) So that's arts, and hopefully we'll talk more next week. What did you guys think of the look of the film While while I was away? Um, I was just reading up on how they made it look the way they did. We already yeah. talked about that. I want to talk about that. It's geeky. <laughs> no, it's, it's technical. Yeah. It looks, it, yeah, it looks pretty phenomenal. Um, you know, it's like you're 
actually on a plane, like feeling the blades of grass between your toes kind of thing. Yes. <laughs> Is it? Okay. Um. Not CG'd in like a Marvel movie. Oh, I see. I <laughs> see. Yeah. No, it's true. They they did such a good job. We talked about the pool hall and the barber chairs. Uh, another thing that I heard about too was um, uh, the they, they showed some really good restraint. Like the houses, the Osage people were quite – famous because they were so rich for these like beautiful mansions like huge houses that they lived in there but Mm -hmm. uh molly burkhart historically and it's reflected in the film lives in a relatively modest house like she has it's it's really lovely you can tell that she has means and it's like you know kind of they built it they built this set which is they built a whole house at the like the crook of a river and everything, and it's really beautiful the way they did it. But um, it's not extravagant, and they they very easily could have put her in just a you know find her the fanciest mansion of the time and and do that to really drive home the fact that she was one of the wealthiest people in this very wealthy community. And instead, um, and that they say this was a really interesting point too is that because it's real, you learn more about the people that you're. Watching because a person with brand new wealth and kind of who's integrating into a very different way of life, both in terms of uh, financial well-offness as well as like, you know, this is this is all colonial trappings of wealth, you know, that the Osage that um, even though she lived with family members and everything, the quarters would be a little tighter. That was her transitioning from one world. Mm one way of living into another, even though she had the the wealth to build the fanciest mansion that you can see. But but the you know, the set designers and the um the filmmakers kind of knew that what was accurate told the more true story. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting how much thought and, and, and good stuff went into this movie uh and and how disappointing <laughs> the the end product turns out to be. That is such a shame. They went to the trouble. They went to Panavision, the the senior vice president of, of optical engineering and lens strategy to modify a Panavision T-series lens to put basically optics from the 1950s into it so it wouldn't look so modern and like mm-hmm. a coating to soften things up. And the, uh, apparently there was some newsreel footage in there. This was shot on a camera belonging to Martin Scorsese from 1917, an actual Bell and Howell camera that they had to fix to shoot some of this footage. So I love the trouble that uh, they went to to produce this movie, and I am so sad that it uh, just turns out to be hours too long. Yeah, yeah I mean, look, I uh, at the end, I'm still going to say I, I would recommend for you or for anybody to watch the movie. Whether or not you you will want to revisit it afterwards, mm-hmm. that's where I sort of question it. And I'm, it's cool that they spent all this time on those fine details, mm-hmm. but there are some some details within the story that probably could have you know had at least another day of. Let me look over this to see if yeah. I'm making the right choices here. Yeah, fair, fair. Yeah, for sure. I I think but, uh, for a lot of people, it's just going to be one of those movies you're going to have to wait until it shows up at home. Because just being in the movie theater for that long is, is just well, I peed like two times in this movie. Mm, I wow! Out and pee right. Wow. So, uh, but that's on me. I'm so well hydrated. <laughs> <laughs> the fall of the House of Usher. You're a few episodes into this, Brian. 
I am a few episodes in, and uh, I'm really, really liking it. Now, I didn't think um, I, because I really liked the haunting of Hill House and the haunting of Bly Manor. Uh, this was a bit of a different sort of style of of horror movie from that, like because like the thing I liked about um, the both haunting show uh, series was just the creep factor like it was so creepy and you're dealing with mm. like haunted houses and ghosts and and stuff and you're kind of still dealing with that in the same vein here in the fall of the house of usher but really um what uh the director what or the creator of this um uh, series did mike flanagan is he's basically taken edgar Allan poe stories and turned them into sort of modern poetic uh you know, tell, tellings in in sort of this episodic way, right? And yeah. it, everything connects, like every episode connects in, into a greater story, but their each individual thing is an Edgar Allan Poe story. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's like a midnight dreary. There's a telltale heart. There's mm-hmm. the Raven. You know, uh, um, murder in the Rue Morgue. It, it's it's. Mm-hmm. I thought it's pretty brilliant in you know the way that the, that they're doing this. The dialogue is great. It's it's um it's fun to follow and fun to watch. Carla Gugino is so good mm. in this. And she's been in all the other uh haunting you know shows and she's obviously done her own, you know, she could she could she, she's kind of a chameleon. She could do anything from freaking being the mom on Spy Kids to right. you know, you know doing like crazy horror stories like this um she's she's really good and bruce greenwood i think is is uh great in this as well nice so it's got a great cast mark hamill's in it um all the people that you've seen in the other uh uh flanagan shows like the haunting shows and stuff they're pretty much all you know all in this that's so cool Um, so yeah i definitely would recommendation that that said i am only like maybe three four episodes in and you're saying each episode covers a different Edgar Allan Poe? Yeah. That's so cool. I love yeah. that. It's it's only eight episodes. Yeah. So it'll be worth diving into after I uh, kill three and a half hours of my life uh, watching Killers of the Flower Moon. <laughs> Paul, tell us about season 35 of The Simpsons. Yeah, I I got what some of I was just like having a real lazy weekend. Um, lots of chores and that and and then i just sat down and was like really wanting kind of some tv time and um yeah i just got served like oh simpsons season 35 episode one is now streaming on disney plus i think it it actually aired on tv a couple of weeks ago maybe oh cool but i was like okay i have not watched a new episode of the simpsons in easily 15 years maybe more you know Now's now's the time. Here we go. Here we go. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna sit, I'm gonna actually watch. I'm gonna I I know what to expect. I know it's gonna feel like a totally different show than the show that I loved from the '90s. So let's watch it. And it was shocking to me how the the main thing that I really recognized, like yeah, obviously it's it's like you know it's a shadow of the show that it used to be, but everything sounds so different. All of oh, the voice really? actors are so old that, mm, see. you know, they just, it just, nobody sounds like themselves anymore. Um, mm. Like even Homer, who I think sounds the closest, yeah, maybe Bart as well. Um, but all, like the, the episode starts with a big auto scene and I'm just like, 
that's not auto. That does not what auto oh, sounds no. like. Mm. And then when they got around to Marge, it's like, what? Marge no, sounds really? like, like you know, in the old episodes, like the way her mom sounded, or maybe Patty and Ooh. Selma. Like she sounds so different. It was just really wild. So, anyways, I'm not here to shit on it, and you know, to have that argument for the thousandth time of like it's not as funny as back when I was a kid. Um, I think that for people who like it still or, you know, I don't know what audience it's serving. I can't imagine there's anyone who's our age who grew up with and loved The Simpsons who still loves it in the same way or that probably audience is so small. So maybe there's a new audience. I mean, it is 35 years later. I could tell you that. So I, I introduced my kids to The Simpsons a couple of years ago. Yeah. And on, when it was on Disney Plus, we would only I would only ever show them episodes from the first from season, say, like, one or, or maybe two. Like, mm-hmm, some, some of the earlier ones they don't really get. But, like, yeah. the second season to, I'd say, the 13th season. Okay. Maybe. And sometimes getting into those teen ones are, like, sometimes a little bit too high. Like, I, I only show them the ones that I remember. Yeah. Uh, and now Aiden's been going through and watching some of the later seasons. The, the ones that I was like, oh, I don't recognize this episode. And, oh, one of them has an iPhone or whatever. Yes. Whoa. Uh, you know, and and so th- I I can tell you that from watching the earlier seasons and the classic episodes with the kids to them, you know, just having on the later episodes, the amount of laughter is a lot less in those mm-hmm. later episodes mm-hmm. than it is in the classic ones. For the kids, even. Yeah, for yeah, the kids, even. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wild. Oh, for sure. I like there's no debating it. Like the show is not as funny as it used to be, you know. And and that golden era is a golden era for a reason. I read uh one of the showrunners wrote a book about the Simpsons and and really like v- very very hard defends every episode, like all the way up through mm-hmm. until now and talks about how they could just keep making this show forever because the characters um and you know the the setup and the premise is just so kind of timeless and so basic that as long as the world keeps happening there are going to be things to parody and and uh, situations to put these characters in and i was like okay fine then good good just keep making it not for me not for me it's not for me it's for someone else and as long as hmm. the show is making money and people are watching it go fine go ahead um the for this first episode i watched of the 35th season like Homer becomes a crossing guard. Like, that's... But, however... Fascinating. However, I got to give him credit. There was, like, commentary about police and about, Mm. like, power structure and stuff like that. I was like, okay, I can see what you're trying to do here, Simpsons writers. And, -hmm. you know, this is the outlet that you have to make these relevant modern points. But, again, because Homer's already been a neighborhood watch guy and I probably has already been a cop or Marge was a cop and blah blah you get a crossing guard is where you have to go with it and I'm just like mm-hmm. what if you just were a different show what if it was the same people but you just start over new characters think of something else think of something just as broad because I'm sorry the Simpsons got to be something very specific so switch it switch it maybe you know what I mean? Like maybe you should have let Family Guy have ten years, and then mm. Bob's Burgers gets ten years, and then now someone else gets ten years, or, the, or even the Simpsons crew gets you know to work on something else. It just was such an such an interesting thing to watch the show. Hmm. Yeah, 
And no, I didn't laugh. No, not one time, obviously. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, anything else for the pod, my friends? I uh, just said I'm playing uh, Super Mario Wonder. Oh! How's that going? Yeah, it's fun. It's, cool. it's fun. I like uh, I like the side scrollers, like the, you know the classic side scrollers. Like the great thing about this is that you can play online mode. Like so you, there's like little stations where you, you can bring Mario or, or any one of the characters that you're controlling to, and you basically turn on this Wi-Fi tower. And what it's doing is wait it shows in the game you, in the game. Oh, cute! But then it shows you all of the people that are playing also in Wi-Fi mode, you see their characters moving along the map as well. They're, they look like little ghosts. They're, they're, they're moving around the map. And then when you're playing, uh, you're, you're going into a world or, or like a level, um, you see them playing along as well. They see you as well. If you die, you turn into this ghost that can float around for five seconds. And if one of the characters goes and touches you, then you can revive your, your basically your life is revived. That's so cool. And you can keep playing the level. Mm. That's so cool. So like, and people like, you can see when people die, so you can purposefully go and then like jump at them and heal them. And so they, they, they can continue and they send you out. Thank you. Kind of thing. Oh, cute. Because there's, there's an offline version of this called standees, right? If you know you're about to die, you can leave a little standee of yourself and then yes. try and ghost your way back. But yeah. online, it's other people tagging so, you to, to bring you back. Standees are still there. Oh, okay. But then you can also use other people's standees. Oh, that's so oh, cool. Well. Oh, that's yeah. so great. Yeah. What a yeah, oh, that's heartwarming. I oh, I love yeah. that. That's so cool. It, it makes it it makes it that much more fun. I turned it on like thinking like, oh no, what is this? Like I, I don't want to like <laughs> you know, not, not that I was like reveal any of my personal. I don't want thirteen year olds yelling at me. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I just wanted to be able to play a Mario game, but I actually keep it on now because I love it. I love that whole like because there are some cool. levels that are really hard, and then there's some people that'll help you through them. That's right? so cool. So, I love that. It's really cool. This That's... game, from all the reviews that I've seen, seems to be like how. Are you continuing to do it, Nintendo? How are you mm-hmm. continuing to improve on these long, long-standing franchises, mechanics, characters, animations, uh, all of it? Uh, the, the Apparently, this game really does it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's really neat with this particular game because if they would just keep putting out new, new Super Mario Brothers... You know, like new levels of the side scroller. I would probably keep buying. I'd buy one every year probably if they just keep coming out with it. In fact, when I bought Mario Maker, that's kind of what I wanted. That's what I wished oh, yeah. for, right? Like is endless mm. side scroll levels. Mario Maker, everyone's doing it bad and it's junk. It's bad. It's not super fun. There's like a few levels that are professional. Yeah, there are a few of them. That You're are fun, right. It was pretty yeah. few and far between. Yeah, mostly they're just a bunch of shit. But, um, but with this. Uh, so, but it, well, what's interesting about Wonder is it seems like they've taken the classic formula. They've built you new levels and everything, but they continue to evolve and 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 invent new ways to play and new elements to make it like fresh and new as much as it is familiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you're exactly right. It's it's there is that familiarity which you love about like classic side scroller Mario games, but then there's these, these elements that they also introduce that makes you like it and it feels fresh. No. So cool. Yeah, really good. So cool. All right, anything else for the pod? No. <laughs> Paul Destino, where will we find you on the internet? Just Instagram, right? Just Instagram at Paul Destino or write me a web letter. <laughs> Paul, P-O-L at the zone.fm. Brian. 
I'm at boytanothedj.com. I'm at uh, twitch.tv slash webmeisterbud. This has been the Zones Geek Up podcast, episode 262. Thank you so much for listening. Bye! The Geek Out Podcast is a production of The Zone at 91.3. The views expressed here are not necessarily those of this radio station. And really, some of those views are pretty stupid. I mean, come on. For more on-demand audio from The Zone, visit thezone.fm slash podcast or the on-demand tab of our app. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being a zoner.